for those of you that know me, you, you know that I like to plan things ahead. Uh, I have a firm belief that there's only one thing wrong with a, with a five-year plan, and that's that it's not a 10-year plan. I, I love to plan things ahead, and part of planning things ahead for me is planning ahead with my preaching calendar. So several months ago, I sat down and, and worked out my preaching calendar for uh, the year 2020 had all these great and wonderful plans, and as I was laying out that preaching calendar and I came to Easter, this was not at all what I had planned. It was not at all what I had in mind whatever. Now typically we at Parkview, we, we typically do things pretty simply. We don't, we don't have a lot of big productions or anything like that, but even though we do things pretty simply, this isn't what any of us had in mind for this Easter. There are certain things about Easter that when, when you think about Easter services that they, they automatically come to your mind. One of them is a packed church house. One of them is, is the ladies coming in and, and wearing their fancy new Easter dresses and, and all of that and and I just love when the when the kids, when parents make their kids dress up in the little Easter suits and all of that, especially the little boys, you know, they got their little bow ties and, and all of that and they're and they're all just, you know, kinda stiff and itchy and, and everything, but they know they're supposed to wear it on Easter, so they, they, they come in all excited about that, but just uncomfortable. And some of you adult men who like that's the first time that you found a tie in your closet for a whole year or at least since Christmas and you're wearing the tie and you're trying not to uh, you realize that your neck has gotten a little bit big for the for the button and your face starts to turn a little bit purple and all those are the things that we typically um, that we typically see at Easter and we enjoy those things and we love to see those things but that's certainly not what we've got is it If you think back to just a little bit over a month ago, nobody saw this coming. Nobody could have imagined that we would have been here on Easter Sunday in this kind of a circumstance. Nobody saw it coming. Our passage this morning in Lamentations, it was it was written in a context that's very much like the context that we're in that we're in now, albeit their context was a whole lot more a whole lot worse than ours is now. But it was the same kind of mindset. It was the same kind of atmosphere. Under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God's prophet Jeremiah wrote this short book. It's just a short book of five chapters, but he wrote this book as he was watching something that he could have never, never imagined the extent of. Yes, he had preached about it. He had prophesied about it, but now it was happening right in front of his face. And he couldn't have imagined it. It was real. The devastation, the destruction of Jerusalem in front of his face was real. The unimaginable was happening. It was happening right in front of his face. God's holy city, Jerusalem, the place where God said that his name would rest, the place that God said was was the apple of his eye, and Jeremiah was watching as that holy city was falling, had fallen. 
happening right in front of his eyes. It was the city that Jeremiah loved. It was the city that he had poured his life out. It was the city where he had exercised his ministry, trying desperately, trying to get people to listen to God and to repent. And now it lay in ruins in front of him. The people that he'd spent his whole life serving and loving and caring for, they were being carried away as slaves, being carried away as captives. God's city was destroyed. God's people were scattered. So, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jeremiah sat down to write this poem. And he wrote it through his tears. He he wrote it through his anguish. It's called Lamentations because it was a poem, or it is a poem of lament. It's a poem of of tears. It's a weeping poem. And what we're going through right now, I don't want to compare what we're going through right now with what Jeremiah was going through and Jerusalem was going through at the time. What they were going through was way much, much worse than what we're going through right now. But even while we acknowledge that, what we're going through is not nothing. It's not the same, but it's not nothing. What we're going through is significant. What we're going through is scary. But Easter is a time of joy. But even though Easter is a time of joy, I don't want us to just paste on a a fake smile like everything's okay and just go on about and pretend and just kind of block everything out and pretend. No, I don't want us to fake our joy. I want us to really experience the joy of resurrection this morning. See, that's the only kind of joy. The joy of resurrection is the only kind of joy that can really hold up during difficult circumstances. It's the only kind of joy that can hold up when the future is unsure, when the future is, when you're insecure and trying to figure out what the future is. The joy of the resurrection is the only kind of joy that can hold up in those kinds of circumstances. It was the only kind of joy that could hold up in the times that Jeremiah was going through, and it's the only kind of joy that can hold up in the experiences that you're going through right now. And when you read these five chapters of Lamentations, it's, I mean, you just got to be frank about it. It's a real downer because it's a, it's a weeping poem. It's like reading somebody's tears and fears and pain. But the point, the whole point of the poem is the crux that's found here right in chapter three. That's found right in the middle of the book. The Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah to put it right in the middle of the book on purpose. He inspired him to put it right in the middle because all around, on either side, on the front and on the back, are the worst circumstances imaginable. But joy comes right in the middle of that. Joy comes in the middle of the most unimaginable circumstances. So here on this Easter Sunday, I'm going to use this short passage to call us to three things. The first thing I'm going to call us to is remembrance. Look at verses 19 and 20 of Lamentations chapter 3 with me. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it. 
and is bowed down within me. So before this, Jeremiah has just spent two and a half chapters absolutely pouring out his broken heart before the Lord, pouring out his lament to the Lord. And as he does that, he recounts the the sins of his people. He recounts the sins, the brokenness of his nation. But he doesn't do it in a way that's like wagging his finger at those bad people that have caused this to happen. No, he doesn't do it in a, and I I told you that this was going to happen. He doesn't do it in that kind of a way. No, he, he, he takes the weight of the burden of the sins of the people of his nation. He takes the weight of the burden of that on himself as he sums it up in these two verses. He, he says, he says, Oh God, remember what I'm going through here. Remember my affliction. Uh, that word affliction, it, it carries the idea of, it's kind of a mashup of carrying the idea of oppression and poverty and misery and persecution and trouble. It's like all of those things rolled up into one. That's the kind of affliction that he's describing there. Oh God, remember my affliction. And he says, oh God, remember my wanderings. Jeremiah's city, his nation, his home was being destroyed right before his eyes. He he was a man without a country. He was a man without a home. Oh oh God, remember my wanderings. Oh God, remember me because my my heart is becoming full of bitterness and I'm, I'm becoming emotionally numb from all of this that's battering me. That's what the word, the words that he uses there, wormwood and gall, that's... That's what that means. Wormwood was a was just a, a bitter substance. Gall was was a poison. It was a medicine that was that was used to numb pain, bitterness, and numbness. Oh God, remember me because my soul is bowed down. My soul, my soul is cast down. It's it, it's melting. It feels like I'm I'm melting away. The weight of emotional sadness and loneliness was burying him. Jeremiah cries out, Oh God, remember me. Have you been crying out to God like that over these past few weeks? Maybe you've been crying out longer than that. Maybe maybe it's not this pandemic that has brought that kind of crying into your life. Maybe you've been crying out longer than that. Have you felt miserable in your affliction? Have you felt like you just don't fit in anywhere? Has your heart become bitter? Have you started to just become numb, like you just are shut off from everything? You feel like you're melting away or like you just wish that you could melt away? Here's what I want you to remember this morning. What I want you to remember this morning is you need to remember that Jesus was afflicted for you. Jesus was abandoned. He was forsaken for you. He endured the bitterness of the cross for you. He was even offered gall to numb the pain of the crucifixion, but he refused it for your sake. Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross for you. He suffered and bled and died on the cross in your place. 
He did it to bear the full weight of your affliction so that you wouldn't have to bear it. He did it to give you an eternal home no matter what happens here, no matter what kind of loneliness or homelessness you might have to endure here. He did it to give you an eternal home. He did it to take away your bitterness and to give you joy in place of numbness. He did it to lift you up instead of being bowed down and melted away. He did it to lift you up in his presence. Isaiah 53 verses 3 3 through 6 speaks of Jesus when it says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with, with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So today, I'm calling you to remembrance. Even as you remember your own affliction and your own grief and your own loneliness and your own sorrow, remember that Jesus endured all of those things and more, and He did it for you. He did it not just for you, but He did it in your place. He bore your grief. He bore your sorrows on the cross at Calvary. Remember that today. Today I'm calling you to remembrance, but I'm also calling you to hopefulness. Look at verses 21. Through 24. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I have hope in Him. Sandwiched right in the middle of his pain and his sadness and his grief and his mourning. Jeremiah has placed his hope in the good news. He's placed his hope in the gospel. He's placed his hope in the fact that God's love is steadfast. It holds on forever. No matter what it might look like around you, no matter what difficulties or or circumstances you might be going through, God's love for you never ceases. It's not impacted by COVID-19. It's not impacted by loneliness or depression. God's love for you never, ever ceases. Jeremiah placed his hope in the fact that not only that God's love never ceases, but in the fact that God's, God is merciful. Even in the middle of this terrible destruction that he was watching of his beloved city, Jerusalem, Even in the middle of his neighbors and his family and his friends being carried off into captivity. Even in the middle of of sickness and devastation and economic collapse, God was still merciful. Even in a time of judgment, even in a time of of disciplining his people, even in a time of, of waking up people to their desperate need for God, even in times like those, even in times like these, God is Merciful. He's showing himself merciful by holding back the the full weight of wrath that our sin deserves. 
As a matter of fact, he showed himself endlessly merciful by pouring out his wrath on his own son instead of pouring out his wrath on you and me. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And it pleased him, Isaiah 53, 10 says, it pleased him to crush his own son in our place. Jeremiah's hope was in God's steadfast love. Jeremiah's hope was in God's endless mercies. And his hope was in the fact that God was his portion, was his possession, was his inheritance. That God himself was his possession, his inheritance. Just like he's your portion when you place your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Master and Savior. How do I know that? I know that because God sealed His promises of love and mercy and grace and faithfulness and His promises of an eternal home in heaven. He sealed those when He raised His Son from the grave. His Son that He crushed when He raised Him from the dead. Jesus Christ, the only sinless Son of God, God the Son, took on flesh and became human just like you and me. The only difference in The humanity that he became was he didn't sin in his humanity. He lived his entire life on earth without sin. But even though he was completely and totally perfectly sinless, he willingly took on my sin and yours. The Bible says that he became sin for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. He carried your sin, He carried my sin to the cross. The iniquity of us all was laid on Him. He took that sinful record of debt that was stacked against us, all the affliction, all the wanderings, all the bitterness, all the anxiety, all the depression, all the, all the poison of sin. He took all of that and He covered it with the indelible ink of His blood. And God displayed His satisfaction with Christ's payment by raising Him from the dead. Listen to me. That's where your hope rests today I'm calling you to hope in Jesus I'm calling you to hope in Jesus because not just because he was a good man not because he was a good teacher not because he was a historical figure no I'm calling you to hope in Jesus because Jesus is alive You can know that God's love for you never ceases because Jesus is alive. You can know that God's mercies never come to an end because Jesus is alive. You can know that God is faithful to keep all of His promises because Jesus is alive. You can know that you are God's and that He is yours because Jesus is alive. Therefore, we hope in Him. I'm calling you to that kind of hopefulness right now. Calling you to remember, I'm calling you to remembrance, I'm calling you to hopefulness, but I'm also calling you to goodness. Look at verses 25 through 27. Starting in verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. 
See, because Jesus experienced affliction, because He experienced separation and grief and sorrow as He bore the weight of your sin on the cross, and because Jesus rose again as the fulfillment of God's steadfast love and His mercies and His faithfulness, because Jesus died and rose again, I am calling you to goodness. (laughs) Now don't get me wrong. I'm not calling you to your own goodness. I'm not calling you to try to make yourself good. I'm not telling you to go out and be a good person. I'm not telling you any of that because that's impossible. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No, I'm not calling you to be good. I'm calling you to experience the goodness of Christ in you. (laughs) He's the one who is good. And because He's the one who is good, it is good for you to seek Him. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Yes, it's good for you to seek the Lord. Seek Him as your Lord and Master and Savior and ask Him to save you. Open your heart to His Spirit's call on you. Even as His Spirit is working through His proclaimed Word, even as His Spirit is working on your heart, now call on Him to save you. That's good. It's also good for you to wait quietly for His salvation. Wait quietly. Now, don't don't get confused here. The original word that's translated wait in verse 25 is different from the original word that's translated as wait in verse 26. It's two different words with two different ideas. In verse 25, the word carries the idea of of tension and strength, of, of persistent endurance. In other words, in verse 25, he's saying that it's good to, to actively pursue and to chase after Jesus to save you. It's not a passive waiting. But here in verse 26, that word carries the idea of expectant hope. That only makes sense when you understand the sense of salvation that Jeremiah is talking about here in verse 26. When he talks about salvation in verse 26, he's not talking about the, the saving grace that, that, that brings you into a right relationship with Jesus. No, he's talking about that ultimate and final salvation that we will, when our salvation is full, is complete when we're in the presence of Christ. We might, we might better refer to it as glorification. It's that final state of salvation when we're not only free from the penalty and free from the power of sin, we're also free from the presence of sin. We're in Jesus' glorious presence. It's that time when every tear will be wiped away, when every sorrow will be gone. There will be no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. All the things that Jeremiah was lamenting over will be gone. And all the things that you are lamenting over even now will be past. Quietly and patiently wait for that day. Because you know it's coming. And when it does, all of this junk that 
we've been going through all of the junk that you've gone through in your life up until now, all of the junk that you'll go through through the rest of your life, all of that will seem but like a light momentary affliction when compared with the eternal weight of glory. It's good for you to seek Jesus as your Savior. And when, it's, and when you do, it's good to wait for heaven with an expectant hope. And it's good for you to do it now. Verse 27 says, It's good to bear the yoke in your youth. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, uh, you, you might not be young, but you're the youngest that you're ever going to be. It's good to take Jesus's yoke upon you now. It's good to take Jesus's yoke upon you now because you're not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised tomorrow for you, for me. Tomorrow might not ever come. So it's good to take Jesus's yoke upon you now. So right now, where you are, I am calling you to remembrance. Remember that Jesus bore the weight of your sin and your sorrow and your grief and your brokenness on the cross of Calvary. Remember that He suffered God's wrath in your place. That's not the only thing I'm calling you to. Right now, where you are, I'm calling you to hopefulness. I'm calling you to hopefulness because Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He didn't stay in that tomb. I'm calling you to hopefulness because Jesus is alive. He lives today to give you new life in Him. He became sin for you on the cross so that you might become the righteousness of God in His resurrection. It's good for you to believe that. And it's good for you to believe that today. It's good for you not to wait to trust Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior. It's good for you to trust Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior and do it even now, even today. It's good for you to claim your portion in Him today. Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, what a glorious thing it is for us to contemplate what Jesus did for us on the cross. For us to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Oh, Father, it's such a beautiful thing for us to hope and place our trust in the fact that Jesus is alive. Father, I would ask that, that any who are watching this Right now, any who are within the sound of my voice that have not trusted Jesus as Lord and Master and Savior, Father, that they would do that today. Well, Father, your spirit is not bound by the limitations of technology. So we ask that your spirit would move in hearts. Father, that souls would be saved, that lives would be changed, and that you would do it even now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.